You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. Along the way, you'll hear from some of my amazing colleagues as they share practical advice that you can apply to your own classrooms. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by my free guide on five ways to better serve students with exceptional learning needs. It can be hard to try to best serve your students with exceptional needs in the music classroom, but it doesn't have to be. There are some simple steps that you can take to help your students while also taking some of the stress off of your shoulders. In this free PDF guide, I'll share five of my top tips for better serving those students that might have exceptional learning needs in your classroom. To claim your free PDF copy, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash exceptional learners. Oh my goodness, I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation with Katie Holbrook. Katie and I have kind of been passing each other in the online world for a while now. So it's great. It was great to be able to finally connect with her and be able to talk about something that we both believe is so incredibly important, which is relationships in the music classroom. Katie Holbrook is a Georgia-based third-year music teacher and creator of 130 Music. She firmly stands in the belief that music is vital to a well-rounded education and seeks to integrate music with other subjects. Her heart is in serving others as she works to empower other music teachers and in turn their own students. She's presented at state conferences and works with other teachers and teacherpreneurs to support both groups in their journey. Music is healing, and Katie seeks out opportunities to use music in our social toolbox. Without further ado, I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation with Katie Holbrook. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Music Podcast. Today, I'm here with Katie Holbrook, and we're going to be talking about relationships in the music classroom and why that is so important. So, Katie, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day and chatting with me about the relationships in our classroom. Thanks for joining me. Of course. Thank you for having me here. All right, Katie. So before we get started, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, really, where do you went to college? What, what do you teach and where do you teach and what brings you joy in your life? Yes, I attended Columbus State University. I graduated with a bachelor's in music ed with choral concentration. I also completed the honors program there, which includes completing and defending a thesis. That was a lot of fun. I currently teach in Columbus, Georgia, where CSU is located, which means that I often get to host students from the collegiate program, including my first ever student teacher. So that's been really cool getting to work with somebody that was a freshman when I was a senior and kind of see her on the tail end of her collegiate experience. So that's really fun. And outside of teaching, I love to create, I make resources, but I also just love a good project, crafting projects, home projects. I love all good things that come with a project timeline. I love that. So I I have not had a student teacher yet, and I cannot wait because I feel like that is such a um, such a wonderful experience and such a great way to give back to the music education, like I don't know the undergraduate institutions. That's so cool that you got to uh, be a cooperating teacher for someone that you went to school with. Yes, it's been a lot of fun, and I really have learned a lot from her. She's taught me a lot about having patience with children. Um, I've just, you know, it's been really good to have another set of eyes and another perspective to see my own classroom through. That's been really great. I bet that's a great experience. So let's dive into our our topic. Today, we're going to be talking about relationships in the music classroom. And that's one of those things where I feel like 
at least the majority of us educators understand that that's super important. But when it really comes down to the reality of being a music teacher and serving hundreds of students and, you know, trying to figure out how do we build these relationships, that's where it really becomes the issue. Um, So let's first start by talking about why do you believe that positive relationships are important for educators as a whole, but especially for us as music educators? Yes. So positive relationships are key to a successful and welcoming classroom environment. When we have those strong foundations of communication and expectations that are framed within those positive relationships, that's where the quality learning and growth is able to happen. So you have to have that foundation before you can really dive into content so that you have, you know, all good houses have a good foundation. So setting those expectations allows you to have the environment that you want. If you don't set that foundation, it's going to crumble time and time again. And you're just going to get in that cyclical thing of getting frustrated because you don't know how to teach the content if they're not, you know, focused, paying attention, aware, respectful, all of those things. Oh, for sure. I I heard the phrase early in my career, you know, they don't, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I I didn't quite realize just how much that was the reality, Um, especially, you know, dealing with, not dealing, but teaching the students that I teach, a lot of them experienced a lot of trauma. Um, That's, that's kind of the first thing is making sure that they know that you care and building those relationships. And what I've noticed is they will just follow you anywhere. They will go so far outside of their comfort zone, but first you have to show that you're, you're working to build that relationship of mutual trust in the classroom. Absolutely. So how do you see the role of relationships fitting into overall classroom management, um, particularly when it comes to your philosophy of classroom management? So from the beginning, I try to establish as positive relationships from jump. This is going to set the classroom up for success in like our classroom. And notice that I'm saying our classroom. It's not just my room. It belongs to all of us. It's so helpful to frame that space in which we make music as a communal space in order to make communal music. You know, music is community. That's a large part of where music making can take place is when you have a community element to your classroom. Once the expectation has been set that we're working together, incidents can be framed in a positive, progressive light moving forward. For example, if a kid is having an argument, it may be highly disruptive to instructions. Instead of raising your voice, have to speak breath and calmly explain the situation. If you have set the expectation that music makers should speak to each other with respect, ask the students to discuss the issue, respecting the other students. You will kind of set that expectation of when there's an issue, let's talk it out, not just you're doing the wrong thing and, um, you know, that's not right. Like, take a step back, everybody breathe. And think about like, okay, we clearly need to talk about something. There's some disconnect or miscommunication here. So let's communicate what we're feeling in a respectful light. And then we'll be able to move past the issue rather than letting it stew. Oh my goodness. I love that. I I think what I, I agree a lot with your classroom management philosophy. And I think it mirrors mine um, very, very similarly. And what I have noticed is 
by allowing students to have more buy-in, again, making it, you know, our music classroom rather than my classroom, it really helps them take ownership, you know, taking ownership of the instruments. They're not my instruments, they're their instruments. And if they get broken, they don't get to use them. Yeah, And, you know, if the room is messy, you know, we're not going to be able to do things or, you know, I think it's one of those things that the more we can let them have buy-in and like actual meaningful um, connection to our classroom, it just makes things work better. And it makes the kids want to, to be successful once it makes them want to follow those expectations because they have some ownership in it. For sure. Yeah. I think that, like you said, especially the like, all right, the room is messy. We together need to clean that up. I mean, a great way to build that relationship with kids, a quick and easy fix is when it's time to clean up. Like if you get involved with the cleanup process, they see that like you respect the room. So they'll, you're setting that example for them of, you know, we all need to have the same respect for our space. So let's clean it up together. That's a wonderful point of, you know, modeling certain things about, you know, whether it be classroom management or whether it be relationships, um, but making sure that you're not putting yourself on a pedestal. Um, I know how you, you, you talked about um, a little bit about how the, you know, you might, you might deal with um, conflict when it comes up. And I think it's important for us as educators to acknowledge sometimes when we make mistakes or when we, you know, if we accidentally bump into someone or if we accidentally, um, I mean, even if I, if I snap at a kid when I'm like, Oh, that was, that was really not really uncalled for. I apologize for that. And, you know, being humble and being, you know, showing that we're not these perfect people and that we're, we're modeling the same types of relationships that we want to see in our classroom and in our children. So one of the biggest things that I have found in my time teaching, and I'm guessing you'll probably have this very similar, um, <laughs> very similar story, is that when you know the name of a student, that is like half the battle with a relationship. Um, not only is that amazing for classroom management, you know, being able to say, Johnny, don't do that, or Johnny, make sure you're over here. But being able to actually call your students by name is a, such a, a meaningful way to create relationships. Um, but I think, again, going back to we have hundreds of students, um, what what tips do you have for teachers who are struggling with learning the names of their students? Yes. Yeah, so like you said, the it really helps with your classroom management strategy if you know them by name. Um, my student teacher has really found the difference. And it's, you know, looking at it from a bystander's point of view, it's really obvious when like she uses their name and when she doesn't use it, use their name. Like when it's a direct, I'm asking you to do this versus, hey, person over there, I would like for you to do this. Um, so that really helps. And names are so important. Names are the special combinations of letters and sounds that their families have chosen to represent them and their own values as a family. Um, by calling a student by name, you're respecting them, their family, their culture, their values. Do not shorten the child's name if they've not asked you to do that. That is like a big thing. Um, you know, don't say, oh, well, I'm just going to call you this. No, take the time. Yes, you teach, you know, hundreds of students, but take the time to truly listen to how they say their name and practice it. And, you know, when you see that that kid is coming in your room and you're looking at your rosters of okay, who's coming next, when you come across that name, practice saying it out loud. And over time, you will get that child's name correct. Um, I understand that it can be hard to remember hundreds of names. If your student information system has this capability, we use um, Infinite Campus. So we're able to print rosters in a seating chart with their picture. So having a picture 
of that child in your seeding chart will help tremendously because you're putting a name to a visual um, element, in this case, a picture of that child. Also, talk with the students outside of the music room. This is so important, and this, I feel like, puts me a step ahead of the people that don't do this. When I see these kids in the lunchroom at car rider, when they come in the door, we do temperature checks um, at my school, and I'm one of the people that's at the door. I speak to them. I compliment them on their outfit. I, When they're standing at car rider in the afternoon, I ask them, you know, what specials did you have today? What do you do in PE? What did you make in art? What book did you read in library? Just having those conversations, you're showing that you genuinely care what they have to say. And on that note, actually listen to what they have to say. Don't say, oh, you know, what'd you do this weekend? And then not allow them an opportunity to respond. Um, I So like communicating with the children that really, really, really helps with building that relationship. And it takes, you know, maybe a minute tops. If I pass them and I say, I like your shirt. And they say, thanks. I got it this weekend. And like, oh, that's cool. Did you go shopping? It's just a very easy way to build that relationship with those kids. And then you can practice their name while you're having conversation with them. And also don't be afraid to ask, it, oh, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. Can you tell me again? That shows, look, I'm human. I'm made an honest mistake of forgetting your name. Can you tell me your name? Because I still want to know it. All of those things are very simple, easy to implement options that you have to learn their names. And over time, you will start to remember, it seems like a lot. It seems like a daunting challenge to take on, but just putting those little, like one foot in front of the other is going to make your relationships that much better. Oh my goodness. So many wonderful nuggets of, of knowledge right there. Uh, so I want to first discuss the power of a name. There is so much power. There's so much uh, importance in in a student's name. So I, I love how you mentioned, you know, know their name, figure out what their name is. If you make a mistake, you know, own up to it, you know, ask them how to, to say their name. Um, don't just give them a nickname or something. I think that 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 is one very, very quick, very easy way to show a student that their voice is, is being valued a little bit less in your classroom. You know, take the time, even if it's like, hey, I, you know, I, I'm really going to struggle, struggle with the name, but I want you to correct me every single time. If, if I make a mistake, please correct me. I still have students. I mean, I don't, in my, <laughs> my school, I have a, so many Mias and like so many Mayas and they're all spelled the same. So I, I, you know, especially when sometimes you get stuck in my brain and I'm, you know, I think about the way it's spelled, I might make a mistake, but I'm like, please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, especially as I'm learning and learning their names, because there's so much power in being able to to prove that, you know, we have so many students, but their your their student your students they only have one music teacher, so they they know you they they'll know your name pretty quickly, um, and it, it can be it can start being a little bit um, a little bit not so great you know later in the year you know if if you don't think your student knows your name. Recently, I've been diving into some trauma informed teaching, and there are there's some stories and some like case studies that I've that I've read about students that they won't hear their name all day. Or if they do, it's only when they're being redirected or it's only when they're being told that they're doing something wrong. And I think that it's really important for us as educators, but also just as people um, to make sure that we're saying people's names in good, 
for good reasons. Um, and then especially when you, you could talk about, you know, creating conversation that doesn't have to do with music. That's wonderful. One, that's a way for us to get out of the music classroom and to show that we're not just music teachers. You know, we're educators, we're human beings. Um, we might like sports. We might like the same things they do. You know, we might both have puppies at the same time. And it's a wonderful way to humanize us as educators, but also validating the identities of our students. Yes, that is 100% what I think is, you know, the foundation of being a teacher is we're, when it comes down to brass tacks, like we are a grown up in their lives. We are, um, you know, somebody that they look up to. And I really like what you said. I had not thought about that with the, you know, some children are only called by name when they're redirected. Um, And that's, you really have me thinking about like, you know, when do I, Am I addressing children by their name outside of like behavior correction? Um, so that really, you know, that has my wheels turning, thinking about more consciously deciding when I call them my name. That's good. I mean, that's when I read that, it, it really kind of broke my heart, honestly. And, you know, because that's that's essentially telling our students to and kind of reinforcing our students that their name is something negative. And like we said before, you know, names have so much power in them. So something I've done in my own classroom is one, I, you know, just for classroom management wise, I love I. I think it's so much more meaningful to focus on what someone is doing right than, you know, instead of saying, oh, Johnny, don't run. I must say, I love how Amelia is walking right now and make sure being, make sure she's being safe. Like, I feel like that has so much more power. Um, but also I love, even if it's just a redirect of that student, but it's, you know, maybe they're, they're kind of starting to, you know, get off focus or get off track and we're discussing instead of being like, Johnny, listen, be like, Johnny, isn't that cool? Don't you, you know, don't you think it's really cool? And just kind of bring them into the conversation again, basically inviting them to be a part of what we're doing rather than, you know, telling them that they need to be focusing. I think that's a wonderful way for us to allow our students to have more positive reactions between them and us. Yes. And that is one of the easiest ways to get a child's attention and showing that, Hey, I'm recognizing that you're not paying attention to our activity or our lesson. And by just saying their name and then, you know, as if you're addressing them in conversation and, you know, nobody else, the other kids in the room don't really realize that you're getting their attention. But by saying, Johnny, can you, or, you know, maybe asking them to read something for you. But even like you said, just saying, Johnny, I have, you know, this instrument I want to show you. Just something basic like, you know, throwing their name in a sentence gets their attention and they pick up, oh, I wasn't, you know, I've been out of the loop. I need to get back focused. But without like full stop, hey, you're not paying attention. What's up? And sometimes it's something as simple as giving them a task because one, there are some kids that, you know, focusing is really hard. (laughs) It requires a lot of mental, um, mental exhaustion just to stay focused for so long. So, you know, if we're reading a book, I may, I'm, you know, and we have a a student that, you know, they're kind of getting a little focused. I might say, Hey, Alex, 
I want you to re- pay really special attention to this me- next picture. There's going to be something hidden in this picture. Or, oh my goodness, the monkey is going to be doing something really silly. And it just brings them in. It's redirecting them, but in a positive way. And, and I think that's a really good way for us to model to our other students, too, about how to interact with others um, in a way that's all, you know, still getting the same point across. It's still like, hey, Johnny, I need you to focus. You know, I need you to be over here. Um, but it's doing it in a way that's not calling them out, that's not making them feel feel like garbage because I don't want my kids to feel like garbage. Right. And I don't think anybody does. We just have to be intentional until it becomes muscle memory with the way that we address kids. Um, You know, you're not going to fix all of your teacher mistakes overnight, but the more you intentionally practice good things and good modeling, then that will start to become second nature the more you practice. So you just have to be purposeful until you can you know, do it secondhand. I I absolutely love that idea because that, that's exactly right, especially when it comes to a lot of these practices about building relationships and, you know, building positive community in our classroom. Sometimes they might be a little bit counterintuitive um, or just something new. And it's one of those things where, you know, you really got to make have to make it um, an active thing you're focusing on until it isn't something you have to, until it's just part of your, your routine, until it's part of your classroom community. Um, and I think that's where we as teachers um, sometimes just expect it to happen. And I think we need to make sure that we're, you know, putting in the work, putting in the effort, but eventually it will become just part of our, you know, second nature, part of our toolbox and things that we bring out. Absolutely. So Katie, other than learning students' names, which, as we said, is incredibly important. Uh, What are some ways that music teachers can build relationships with our students, especially when we have so many? Yes. Like I said, finding those opportunities to chat with kids has been such a great way to bond with them. And like I said, let them talk. Let them have, you know, give them direction in the conversation And you will have kids like your younger kids are going to, they might need some prompting and you know, what's, what do you have for lunch today? If you see that they're carrying a lunchbox out to dismissal, um, just in, but again, let them have the space to answer you. Don't just go, Oh, you had a sandwich. Okay. And then walk away, like truly listen to them. Um, let them talk about silly things. Kids love to talk about the things that they love. Um, one of my friends, her boys go to my school and her youngest loves to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog. I personally know nothing about Sonic the Hedgehog, but he will talk left and right all about Sonic the Hedgehog. And that's great. And like, I know that about him now, so I can start to think about things that I could connect with that child. Um, So in like tucking those little things in your brain, you will remember them. And, you know, when I see Sonic the Hedgehog anywhere, you know, on TV, whatever, I think of that child. And so you'll start to just associate them with those little quirky things about each child Um, and giving them space to connect with grownups in a almost like peer to peer relationship rather than superior and inferior. Like I want to know about you and you tell me about yourself and then here are some questions you can ask about me. Um, And that also helps them build conversation skills and they know how to speak to somebody that might be different than them, you know, especially with the age gap 
that shows your like appropriate ways that you could speak with somebody that are more casual and not just so like very rigid with adults. Oh my goodness. I think that that is such a, those are some great reasons. And I think it really comes down to just being open, being valid and just being you with these students. I love how you mentioned, you know, teaching conversation skills, because that is something, especially as we come out of COVID when a lot of people have been in isolation, um, at least more than they normally would. um, I've been trying to do more of is just having interactions with people and, you know, making sure that it's not because not screen to screen, it's we're in person, we're talking to each other, we're just having conversation. And I, I like to have some time in my lessons, just unstructured conversation time where I get to talk to the kids um because you know there is you know music is important obviously but i don't want to spend 40 out of 40 minutes going 100 percent learning music i would love you know obviously i want to make sure that music is the core tenant but if i'm taking a couple minutes out of the class and i'm asking them how their day went and i'm like hey you know did anyone uh read a good book over the weekend or oh my goodness it snowed so much yesterday did anyone make a snow for it and you know just being just I don't know. I think it's important for us to show that uh, even though we're music teachers, we're people too. And we're, we're trying to build those relationships. And here's the thing that I've noticed is because I have the strong relationships, the time that I'm spending making music is so much more meaningful because like I said earlier, the kids will follow me anywhere now that we've built that level of trust. Exactly. And they also will see that you're a grown up that they can trust. Um, it's kind of evident which teachers take the time to connect with their students and which ones don't because the grownups that the kids are excited to see are the ones that have shown that they truly care about their students. And like you might truly care, but if you're not showing that on the outside, how are they supposed to know that? So again, like they're excited to see the people that are excited to see them. They're excited to talk to the people who are excited to talk to them. And if there are no grownups that are showing that on the outside, then they're only going to see grownups in their school setting as, oh, those are the people that set the rules and make us follow the rules. Yes. And thinking about just my own experience in school, you know, my favorite teachers, they're not the one, you know, I don't remember my favorite teachers because, oh my goodness, they taught me fa, you know, like, even though they did, (laughs) my my favorite teachers, the reason, the reason that they're my favorite teachers is because they made me feel valued as a person. They taught me how to be a good person. Um, And while I definitely learned, um, not, you know, musical concepts or, you know, even if it was my favorite English teacher, I learned English concepts. What really comes down to the reason why I still remember them, right? The reason I still remember their names to this day is because they showed me how to be a real person and they valued me as a real person. Exactly. When you're saying that, I'm thinking of my high school voice teacher. So she wasn't my like chorus teacher, um, but my like private voice teacher She passed in December and I just think of like the values that she instilled in me. Like she taught me what it means to truly work for things that I want. Um, You know, she went through all of my college audition process with me and I treasure her because of, you know, the work ethic she put instilled in me. But she also, you know, when we hit a roadblock, it's okay to get upset. And then we pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and we, you know, work even harder to figure it out and like not giving up. And again, that just shows what kind of educator 
really is making a lasting impact. It's those teachers that don't give up on their students that really outwardly show that they care about them. Like, was she, you know, super sweet all the time? No, she could, you know, there were some days that I walked out of there just livid because she had irritated me so much because I didn't know what to do. But, you know, then I go, okay, there's clearly something that is blocking me. I need to figure it out, get over it and work through that. Um, So, yeah, I think that it's the way that you talk to these students is going to make a lasting impact. And it does not have to be, oh, well, my kids could walk out of the program sight reading at, you know, if we teach elementary school sight reading at a seventh grade level, like, okay, that's great. But do you know all their names? Do you know what they like to do? Do they play soccer? Have they been on a trip recently? And if you can't answer that, then like kind of reflect on what the, you know, what's important in your position as an influential teacher. I love the the phrase influential teacher, because I think that's what we need to remember, especially with kids that are so young, you know, they are really still trying to figure out how the world works. Um, And I I think that's a a wonderful way for us to be a shining light in their, in their lives. But it's also an incredible responsibility. And I need to make sure that we, I think we need to make sure that we're never taking light of that. So Katie, what can teachers do this week to build up the relationships that they have with their students? This week, I would challenge teachers to try to have three meaningful conversations each day. Try to have them with different students, but maybe if a student tells you, hey, on Wednesday I have a soccer game, then Thursday if you see that kid say, hey, did your team score any goals? Like, you know, remembering, especially being able to loop back to something you've already talked about will show that kid, oh, they remembered that we talked about my soccer game. So I would challenge teachers to just have three conversations a day. Again, that can total, you know, five minutes out of your day, which is just a blip on the graph of time. Have three meaningful conversations with kids each day. So if you're starting on a Monday, that totals 15. But, you know, if you think about it, that three conversations could total five minutes in your day, which is just a blip on the graph of time throughout your day. Um, so it really takes very little time to make these big lasting impacts by having these small conversations. I think that it's a wonderful and great, um, approachable and, you know, meaning a way that we can create some meaningful relationships, but it's not super overwhelming. It doesn't have to be this huge thing. Uh, so Katie, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me before we leave work. Can you let my listeners know where can we find more of you? Absolutely. So my music teacher business is called 130 Music. My uh, website is 130, so the number one, the number three, the number zero, music.com. My Instagram handle is 130 Music, all letters. I know that's different, but (laughs) what I could do. Um, And I'm also on Teachers by Teachers as 130 Music. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Katie. I'll be sure to link all of those wonderful links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for joining me, Katie. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. If you found this episode helpful at all, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only does this help me understand what you find most helpful, it also helps more music educators just like you find the podcast. To check out the show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com 
slash show notes.